Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Welcome to this week's show. This week, I'm pleased to have as a guest, Harry Zarkadis of Cappies and Main Street Wine Imports. Thank you, Steve. Okay, so why don't you give us a little background on you and how you came to Cappies and what your background is in the wine and spirits business and what things you're interested in and that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I've been in the wine business for almost 30 years now, and it's been a bit of a circuitous route, taking me uh, through a few different lives in the business. Uh, you know, I started uh, as a retailer, and my second job as a retailer in the wine business was with Cappy's Fine Wine and Spirits. Uh, I was the uh, wine manager at one of the larger stores, uh, the one on the Saugus Malden line on Route 1. And it was a great experience, but after a few years, I decided I want to change hats, and I got into the uh, wholesale business uh, with Classic Wine Imports, uh, which was a great experience again, but a different side of the business, as you know. And then after that, I decided to open a restaurant. How'd that work out for <laughs> Well, it worked out about like you'd think. And what my accountant told me would happen and what my father told me would happen, happened. And uh, sure enough, I was back uh, with Cappy's. A certain point after a couple of years of being back uh, with the company and working in one of the stores, uh, a couple of us got together and decided maybe it might be a good idea to start a different wing of the company called Main Street Wine Imports uh, as a uh, importer, wholesaler, and distributor of fine wine within and liquor within Massachusetts. And that's what I'm doing now. So you're not doing the buying for the retail stores as well, or is that part and parcel? Not, no, not at all. No. I mean, in a certain sense, because some of the items that we take in for Main Street Wine Imports also go into the stores. So I guess in that respect, you know, we serve as a wholesaler, uh, Main Street does, to the Cappy stores. So some of the wines that we select for Main Street and sell outside of Cappy's, you know, to independent retailers and restaurateurs will also be in Cappy store. So in that sense, yes, but I am not, you know, I am not the buyer for them. Okay. So why don't you give us kind of an overall picture of the wholesale business in Massachusetts and your role in it? Uh, we'll, we'll touch on the retail store later, but let's focus on the wholesale. Yeah. Well, Main Street, you know, obviously it's a company owned uh, and run by retailers. We look at ourselves, you know, as a young company now, not even three years old, um, as uh, a company that is a wholesale company, but we keep retailers in mind. Um, we do things, for instance, you know, I mean, we select wines that we think are great wines and over deliver on quality uh, for the price that they're slotted at, but also, you know, things like best price for retailer on case one. You don't have to buy 100 cases or 200 cases or 1,000 cases to get the best price on one of our great wines. You know, the first case of wine you buy is the price. The 10th case is the same price. That's the price. And that's very unusual. I mean, you know, you look in any of the beverage books. And so how does that work for you? And how do retailers respond to that being a different model? 
I think uh, the great majority of them are incredibly appreciative. They respond well to it. You know, in, in that sense, it's easier for me, I think, to open new accounts when I walk into somebody's store and they oh, that's a great wine. It has a nice label. How many cases do I have to buy? And I say, well, one. And well, what do I have to buy to get the best price? And I say, one. And they go, okay. <laughs> it's almost like uh, the car buying has changed from the salesman having all the information and controlling uh, the sales thing to uh, it's, it's just a more uh, pleasant, <laughs> pleasant experience. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, it's a great analogy. You know, I think in a lot of ways, the world is going that way. And, and we think we're ahead of the curve in, in having this dynamic, this business model. Well, with the number of things changing, and we'll get up to get into the whole issue of COVID and how that's affected things. But I think this may end up being something uh, that may be an outgrowth of it. I think, uh, well, we'll get, as I said, we'll get into that later. So um, how many other wholesalers are there in Massachusetts? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Let's say there's a ballpark of 40. And most people, if you ask them in the industry, or at least people I know, if you ask them, you know, how many wholesalers are there in Massachusetts, I would say four or five. Yeah. I mean, and those are the, the big guys that everybody knows. Um, you know, and we're the alternative to that. Um, that's how we, I mean, it's still about wine. It's still about people. It's still about relationships. But we look at it like there are advantages to dealing with us as opposed to any of those, or well, especially those bigger companies that of course, take up a, a bigger portion of the business. So the focus is not on, it's not like, oh, they're a craft distributor or they specialize in, you know, Austria and Chile and South Africa. What you guys really are is a retail and I would imagine on-premise friendly wholesaler. Other than the, the case one price, what are the other things that differentiate you from uh, other Well, let's talk about, you know, restaurateurs. The big companies are notorious for having one price for a retail store and another price for a restaurateur, and it's a better price. But with us, there are other advantages dealing with us with on-premise accounts in the sense that, let's say, they only want four bottles of an expensive wine or an expensive liqueur. With a big distributor, there'd be an upcharge. Broken case charge, yeah. You don't charge broken case charges? Oh, I think the advantage of us, particularly to on-premise accounts, I'm speaking of restaurants, you know, when you want an expensive bottle or a bottle of wine or liquor for the list, we don't charge a split case fee for buying three or four bottles. You know, this makes a sense, I think, to the restaurateur. Uh, it, there's a sense of uh, fairness, I think, that they appreciate. And w- when I talk to a sommelier, at a nice restaurant and they want only four bottles of the $75 Barolo and, you know, is it going to be 80? And I said, no, it's, it's still $75 a bottle. They're like, how can that be? You know, I think we make people happy with that sort of uh, dynamic. So that's kind of a big issue that a lot of imported wines, and certainly we're talking about wines from Italy here, were restaurant-oriented, not specialty products, but you know the, the Cognoscenti would would know what they are. They took a big hit. People were getting rid of inventory and so forth. Is, is there a separate, apart from mainstream, for other wholesalers, is there a separate menu, if you will, or book for on-premise versus off-premise, or is it just prices that differ, or how to? Not officially, not officially. <laughs> but a lot of people say, well, you know, a, a lot of restaurateurs want products that are not available in retail stores, so that customers can't 
check prices. Of course, now we have wine searcher and tools like that. And just like the analogy we're using about, um, you know, purchasing a car, it used to be the dealer had all the information on uh, what the costs were. Now everybody has the same information. You, you have to be wary of that in our business, whether you're in the wholesale business or the retail business. I, I see, you know, when I still go into the stores uh, to talk with our buyers and, and show them a wine we're bringing in. When I walk through the stores just to see how it's, how it's looking, Inevitably, I see somebody looking at a wine and then looking at their phone and then walking down the aisle a little further, looking at another wine and looking at their phone. So everybody in the business has to be wary of that. You know, when I owned my restaurant, I had customers who didn't understand that a restaurateur needs to make a little money on a bottle of wine and would, you know, he'd take a pic, a customer would take a picture of a bottle of wine in the restaurant and say, well, why is it this price retail and this price in your restaurant? And, you know. What can you say? Yeah, you can't talk about business models to uh, consumers. Okay. So, I mean, that does make sense. I understand the strategy, uh, but I think your method of doing the broken cases is kind of a, a, a nice way to address that and satisfy both sides, retail as well as on-premise. That's that's what we think. And this, this is our whole, you know, from the Main Street wine import side of things, uh, we like uh, all our accounts to know that we're, we're the good guy. We're, we're being friendly. We're working with you. And we've seen great results from that. Okay. So let, let me ask the hard question that a lot of uh, the suppliers I work with ask. Okay. How do I get on their desk on the day that you're evaluating wines? I Yeah. Well, you know, Fridays, uh, you know, Mark and I and Mackenzie and Joe Selby, uh, you know, or any two or three of us, We'll sit down and and taste, you know, twenty or thirty wines. And some days there are absolutely zero we're interested in. Some days there are too many we're interested in. And then we have to look at, you know, what's um, in our portfolio that we already have. You know, we're looking for niche wines, possibly, you know, something that fills a void in our portfolio. As to how you, you know, we're we're easy. Uh, you know, you can look us up on online and find out where we are and send us a sample and, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do. But I, I like, of course, this last year and a half has been a different world. Uh, we can't, or we haven't been able to go visit a winery. Um, it's, it's changed the game completely. There's, there's nothing like trying and talking to the winemaker in the vineyard and picking up the soil, picking up a rock, you know, smelling the grapes on the vine. There, there's nothing like it. You can't replace it. You can't really gauge what a wine's all about without visiting the winery. But the next best thing is sending us a bottle. That's, that's all we can do at this point. We're still not traveling. So. Okay, so you've tasted a thousand wines. What percent make it through to the shelf? Well, to the distribution company. I would say that's about right. And our, our we joked about our motto, which would be, you know, we taste the bad ones, so you don't have to. And consequently, to, to you, yeah, to Cappy's uh, shelves. I mean, we're constantly reassessing everything in the stores. You know, these days, as you know, uh, supply you know, inventory is an issue. Well, supply is another issue, but inventory is an issue. You know, so. I think we're thinking of ways to make our shelves in the copy store reflect more of what Main Street's doing. Aside from that, we are certainly taking in, you know, one or two new wines a week into our portfolio. Uh, but maybe we're getting rid of something else, too, at the same time. Well, that's the issue. Obviously, in a retail store, if something comes in, something's got to go out because, you know, all the shelves are full. That's not the case in, in distribution, but it probably does give you a sense of uh, what the trends are and uh, where things are going. It, it certainly does. Uh, talk talk about that and what you see as some of the trends happen. Well, you know, 
Cappy's, uh, we'll go back to the retail side of it now, for instance, is a retail chain, you know, 12 sites in the state, independently owned, family owned. But it started in 1940. Can you imagine how different the business was then and the amount of SKUs you had to carry in a store then compared to today? You know, the stores are larger, you have to be more adaptable, and those are two things that don't necessarily mesh, being larger and more adaptable. You know, we have computers and things now and people to check on inventory, but it's harder. Uh, The challenge is always there. And there's the challenge of uh, competitors in the state which feel like they don't have to make a dollar one or penny one on an established brand. And that puts pressure on you, too. And now with the pandemic and the ensuing supply problems, uh, not, I'm not talking about natural you know, fires or drought or frost. I'm just talking about you can't get a container from point A to point B. These are other problems. So there's a, a myriad of things that go on all at once. The key is to be adaptable and to be fast. And being a small independent retailer and being a small independent wholesaler, we can adapt. I think that's our great advantage as well. So, you know, being that size that we are, it's easier not to get stuck. Although when the container doesn't show up, you know, then you have some explaining to do. Everybody's been dealing with that lately and trying to to do the dance. And, you know, it's pretty frustrating to everyone if if a container is like three months late. And It, It really is. I mean, honestly, Steve, we've ordered things in December that have not arrived Yet we ordered something in January that has not been scheduled yet. Or I mean, it's just well. Let's flip the the negative on that to the positive. So, what kind of uh, things are happening in Italian wines? Are there uh, regions? Are there varietals that are making things happen or getting noticed? Obviously, you know, we've had the Prosecco, Moscato, Pinot Grigio thing over the last ten years. Yeah, but even even with Prosecco, you mentioned Prosecco. There's still a great new trend in Prosecco, and that's the new Do of Prosecco Rosé. And I think that's taking two wonderfully uh, popular things and putting together. So it's like a cross trend. Everyone likes Prosecco, everyone likes Rosé. So now there's Prosecco Rosé. And I can tell you in my portfolio, in the Main Street portfolio, one of my most popular wines of the year has been, you know, the short year so far, has been a Prosecco Rosé. So that's a nice trend. Uh, You know, it's something old, but still something new. I think that's fantastic. You know, uh, other trends out there, I think, you know, when I'm visiting other retailers, or restaurant accounts, the people I see drinking wine in the stores, believe it or not, is or the restaurants, they're younger. That denotes, you know, more adventurous to me. And I see that. Like, you know, when I was a younger man, I was a musician. And, I, you know, but growing before that, I'd like to listen to music. I didn't want to listen to what my father listened to or my mother listened to. I wanted to listen to my music. And I think, you know, this new generation is saying, I don't want to drink what my mother and father drank. I want to try something different. So that's a good trend in the business. Um, and we keep a close eye on that. You know, maybe somebody, a younger drinker, the mother drank Pinot Grigio. So she wants to drink Vernaccia. You know, it's still a great wine for the similar food for the time of year, but it's just different. You know, maybe somebody's father drank Chianti. So instead... You know, they're gonna we're gonna drink at Narasa. And of course, the Chianti that they were drinking well came in a straw basket. You know, so that's a world of difference. I, I thought it's interesting when I discovered that it was uh, the bottle is called a fiasco, and the Italian word for fiasco means mistake. And the reason why it was a failure at the the glassworks, and so they put it in a straw bottle to cover it up. Uh, but now it's uh, in the common parlance as. Uh, 
you know, describes that bottle of wine. I don't think I've seen one in 30 years. And now Chianti is major league stuff. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's still the most uh, popular Italian red, but you know, um, the other thing that's that's good about Italian wine is its diversity. You know, Italy runs, you know, by the grace of Mother Nature, north-south. And when you get that, you're crossing different regions and climates, and you're getting the grapes and the styles of wine that go along with that and with the cuisine. And that is so important. I think what people like today, whether it's in, in culture or lifestyle or wine, it's diversity. And Italy has that diversity to match the, the tastes and trends of today. So what's what's next? I mean, I, I didn't project Prosecco, although it should have happened a lot sooner. I mean, it fits the bill, especially on the sweetness scale for Americans. You know, it's, it's okay sweetness there. Well, I, th- I think actually there there is like a backlash to the, the sweet wines, the, the sugar added wines that have been so popular over the last 10 years. So I do see a little nascent trend already happening uh, and again, it's most, mostly with younger drinkers uh, looking for drier wines. I think it's an offshoot of natural wines or organic wines. Um, so I think there are some people out there, this, this little trend that's starting, who are paying more attention to lighter, drier wines. I think it's another good thing. It reminds me of the backlash to Oaky Chardonnay that was some years ago. Um, it's not that Oaky Chardonnay still isn't a thing, but you know there was a, a trend to um, get away from it. And I think there's a trend to get away from those sugary wines, so those drier wines. And I like seeing that. I like seeing that with the newer wine drinkers. And the good part of that for our business is these people will be drinking for another 40 years, 50 years. You know, when you see that, that's a good trend to follow. The other trend, I well, you mentioned like Italian, different Italian wines and varieties. To me, the other thing about Italian wine that's new is really what's old. You know, not everyone. I mean, I've tasted it. I love it. I love a Ruque you know, from Monferratu. I mean, I just love the, the sense, the nose of the lilacs and being in the middle of a garden, you know, a flower garden. And I will sit with a glass of Ruque. I remember the first time I had it, it was probably 15, 20 years ago. First time I had a glass of Ruque, I didn't take a sip of the wine for 30 minutes. Yeah, I just sat there. The nose is so fantastic. I don't want to drink it because then it'll be gone. You know, I just want to smell it. And I want somebody else to have that experience. So, you know, our buyers in the retail stores, when they have a small production Ruque, that's, you know, very few people know, even though it's an older grape, you know, they can give somebody else that brand new experience. And I think, you know, there are a lot of, with Italy, there are tons of varieties you can do that with. And that's, that's my job. And to me, that's the fun part of the job. You know, Norello Mascalesi or Caterato or, you know, Friolano, which used to be Tokai Friolano. You know, I mean, I think all these are grapes that even though they're old and ancient grapes that people now can discover and make their own, it'll be a first time experience for them. So that's that's what it's all about. Right. We're all on on a journey of discovery and we all start at zero, really. So it may, may be old, maybe may date back to Roman times, but I don't. <laughs> One other thing we were talking about last week was um, how people are shopping. And I'm biased towards the issue, even though I have research that says it's not true, that people do read back labels. And it's not that they want to read back labels. It's because there's not enough information about the wine on the front label because it's there as a billboard, if you will. And one of the, one of the points you guys made was a practical one about reshippers and, and colorful reshippers that look good in a stack. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, for me, it's an especially uh, important issue. I, I said earlier in this conversation, you know, 
everything, when I'm speaking with a retailer, I'm selling wine, everything in our portfolio is best price case one. Why would a retailer want five or 10? Well, I'll tell you what makes them want it. I mean, the label is beautiful and the shipper is beautiful. That is the difference between me selling one case of wine to an account or five or 10 for a case stack. I go into these beautiful boutique shops and they don't want a plain white case. They don't want a plain brown case. But when we have a smart winery, uh, we have a winery from Chile where it's a husband and wife team. He makes the wine. She does the artwork and she is a true artist and the labels come out that way. And they made the shipper look just like the labels. And I have accounts that just stack that wine for because the, the shipper looks so beautiful and they sell it by the case. That creates velocity and it creates loyalty for my accounts and it creates velocity in sales for me. The shipper is so important. Uh, you can't overstate it, especially with my company. Uh, because we have that case one pricing. But I think with every company, when you floor stack something, you want to draw the consumer, the customer's attention to the stack. And the best way to do it is with an attractive shipper. There's no doubt about it. And the reshipper often is the last thing, meaning the not thought about thing when somebody's developing the whole. Well, one of the things we decide on a Friday when we taste those 20 bottles of wine, one or two, which you might decide are good enough for our portfolio, you know, we sit there at the table and we like the wine and we like the label. Then we, if we find out the shipper is plain white or plain brown, we need to have a conversation with the supplier or the winery and say, somebody needs to do something about this because we take this wine in otherwise, but now we won't. Right. I, that's a really important point, people. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Uh, talk about the last point that we have time for. Massachusetts is a franchise state and, and how that changes uh, both the makeup of the distribution, who the distributors are, and also how things operate. Can you chat about that? It's, you know, it used to not be that way. When I started in this business, it wasn't that way. And then it now it is. It's a franchise state. That, you know, if you have a brand, it's your brand, it's exclusive and tethered to a distributor. I don't know that this is good for the consumer. Obviously, there's a lack of competition between people who would sell it directly to a retailer or a consumer that, you know, allows people to, you know, so choose pricing. And this is not a good thing for the consumer. Uh, unfortunately, um, that's the way it is. But what we do, we are the alternative to all those big brands that are tethered to these distributors. And the price is set at one thing. Maybe it's not a natural set price for that reason. Um, you know, we can find wines that they don't find. They don't take the time. They don't have the inclination because they have these big brands that are going to sell a million cases anyhow. They don't have to. We select the wines that deliver more quality um, and at a price point that's natural, um, you know, and th that can be a problem in a state, a franchise state like Massachusetts, but not for us. So does that make Massachusetts one of the first states you want to look at as a franchise state for brands that are not currently imported into the U.S. because the distribution setup of who's there isn't just two major players? You've got those 40 uh, and I've heard that there's like 600 in New York. I am minimal. But can you just address that for the suppliers who want to come to the U.S.? Big challenge finding an importer. 
Um, also to find out that the old days of agency brand importers, that model is not working as well now with e-commerce and all the other things. that uh, I think Massachusetts is one of the places that you want to be as an exporter, as a supplier. There is, like anything else, there's a little backlash to those set prices and those perceived prices that are the fallout of uh, a franchise state. You know, uh, we don't play that game as a wholesaler. Um, so yes, you know, that, that's how we make our business. That's how, that is our business model. Find these new wines from these different places, these unknown, you know, commodities and sell them at a natural price where everybody's happy. The consumer's happy. The retailer's happy. The restaurateur is happy. Uh, and we're happy, you know, to bring these great wines, uh, to the people and to the retailers and to the restaurateurs at the right price. That's great. One thing we hadn't talked about, and we don't have a lot of time, but I did want to address is how you're handling e-commerce. You guys use City Hive as the uh, back end. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. This was so important for us. Um, We began with uh, City Hive in May of last year. We realized we had to update uh, our, our website, you know, and City Hive as a host has been such a boon to us. We we're able to streamline, you know, our web and app providers and the one back end, you know, their operational and customer engagement is superior. Um, you know, we don't have delivery vehicles. We have 12 locations in the state, retail locations, and we don't have delivery vehicles at every location, but they gave us a delivery presence because they partner with DoorDash. So even if we didn't have our own vans in that particular location, you know, you go to the website and City Hive provides DoorDash. Before uh, we were, uh, before the pandemic and before we partnered with City Hive, our online sales uh, at the retail level was about 1% of our total sales. During the pandemic, that jumped up to over 20%. We could not have done that without City Hive. Um, and even now, even we're, I think we're pretty much at a post, uh, COVID post pandemic world, even now our online sales, and this is during basically summer now, it's hot weather, uh, is four and a half, five percent of our sales. You know, it, it, it goes down a little bit in summer because the foot traffic is better. You know, travel is easier. I expect in the fall and winter, it goes back up again a couple points. So we're talking about a difference of, you know, from 1% to maybe 7 or 8 who knows, maybe 10%. Um, and it's because of City Hive. I think it's a brilliant thing. And any retailer who doesn't use a, a platform, a host like that, you're missing out. And that's City Hive, it's like Beehive, cityhive.com. Interesting. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up now, but uh, i like to finish with uh, asking our guests, uh, for what's the one big takeaway of all the things that we talked about? Well, you know, when uh, you know, there's the retail side of my company, Cappies. There's the wholesale side. There's Main Street Wine Imports, and you know, we deal with consumers. We deal with restaurateurs. We deal with retailers. We mentioned it earlier in our uh, interview here that you know, the shippers. Uh, a case of wine, really something people don't think about, but make everybody's life easier. You know, the consumer is drawn to the shipper. You know, the retailer will go for one case instead of five, from my point of view as a, a salesman for Main Street Wine Imports. Um, you know, any retailer who buys from me 
you know, they're selling wine quicker, more velocity. I mean, obviously the first thing is what's in the bottle, but after that, like you mentioned back label, you know, to me, it's the shipper. Uh, these are all things that add up to a successful brand, a successful wine, and a successful uh, relationship. Well, let me ask you a question about um, the, the reshipper then. It's not just a matter – well, is it just a matter of it being colorful or should it sell? And one of the things I teach my clients is you're going to have – the case is going to be cut. A lot of people you know, will put perforations on it. So make sure you're selling messages on the way down on the bottom of, of the reshipper and that the sides are selling something – other than just a picture of the bottle. That's not bad, but, you know, if it's a spirit, maybe the cocktails that you make from it. Uh, yeah, recipe or, you know, wine pairing suggestion, you know, for a back label or who knows, on the side of a, of a reshipper. You know, um, I think all these things add up to a successful, uh, successful brand. What I like about that is that it's totally within the winery's control and they don't need anybody else's permission to do it. And it's a way of differentiating themselves from competition in a very, very meaningful way. Um, so strategically, it's one of those don't cost a lot. Well, it costs something. I, I get that. But it could be incredibly powerful. If it's the difference between a one case display and a five case display, there you go, right? Does, doesn't need any more explanation. Okay, so wrapping up, I want to say uh, thank you to Harry for joining us today. He's, uh, he's the, the, the wine buyer for Main Street Wine Importers, which is the wholesale arm of Cappy's Fine Wines and Spirits. And Cappy's is uh, one of the major players in Massachusetts with 11 stores. And Massachusetts is unusual in that it's a franchise state. And so for anyone who's listening, if you haven't been to Massachusetts, you ought to come. Uh, oh, contact information. So, Harry, can you give us your email address so that if people want to reach out to you and ask questions from what they've heard today, they could? Absolutely. Uh, my email is harry at Main Street Wine Imports, all spelled out, M-A-I-N-S-T-R-E-E-T-W-I-N-E-I-M-P-O-R-T-S dot com. Harry at MainStreetWineImports.com. You can reach me there uh, and be happy to get back to you any inquiries. And Cappies is www.cappies.com. Yes, it is. Well, Harry, thanks again. And we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. And uh, we look forward to uh, having our listeners join us next week where we have another very exciting and informative guest. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Steve Ray. Thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast.